Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome to today's seminar on developing resilience to climate change and achieving food security in West Africa, follow-up action from the UN Food Systems Summit. Today's seminar is co-organized by IFPRI and the West African Science Service Center on Climate Change and Adapted Land Use. I'm Katarla Taylor, Events Manager at IFPRI, and I will moderate today's session. Thank you for those of you who are joining us live and to those of you who will watch this recording. To participate in our Q&A session that will follow the presenter's remarks, please submit your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag AskIfPre on Twitter. Today's collaborative seminar will address issues, constraints, and challenges to developing resilience to climate change and achieving food security in West Africa. Panelists will discuss specific action plans that will be needed for following up on recommendations from the 2021 United Nations Food Systems Summit. Let me now call on Tunis Van Rienen, Director of Business Development and External Relations at IFPRI to provide opening remarks. Tunis, over to you. Thank you very much, Katala. Uh, I would like to give a very warm welcome to everyone who is joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time to participate in this very important event. Secondly, I'd like to express my gratitude to the organizers of this webinar. I know how much effort goes on behind the scenes to make events like this happen. So a very big thank you for that. Today's webinar is the second in a series of online events that IFPRI and WASCAL have jointly organized to bring together experts to discuss climate change, food systems transformation, and resilience in West Africa. As mentioned by Katala, today's event comes on the heels of the United Nations Food Systems Summit. This summit saw tremendous mobilization in the months and weeks leading up to the event on September 23. The summit was intended to, to push the international community to take swift action towards transforming global food systems to ensure food security and to ad address biodiversity and climate change. The summit actually came at a very, very critical time. Global hunger and malnutrition are back on the rise again after decades of decline. Last year, the COVID-19 pandemic, pandemic increased the number of people living in poverty by up to 124 million people. And it is projected that around 600 million people will be living in poverty by 2030. Clearly, and unfortunately, the world is, of course, to achieve almost all of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, not on track. The United Nations Food System Summit helped to bring urgency around the need for local, national, regional, and international actors to come together to push for greater and more coordinated action to deliver the United Nations SDGs by transforming food systems. Worldwide, the agricultural sector accounts for almost one third of all global green gas emissions. At the same time, the agricultural sector is highly impacted by climate change, with women and the most vulnerable paying the highest price. Agriculture, therefore, will play a huge role in shaping the transformation we need to achieve food security, develop resilience to climate change, and protect the environment. As a result of the UNFSS, 
and all the lead up to this event, more than 150 countries committed to transform their food systems while championing greater participation and equity among farmers, women, youth, and indigenous people groups. Now, it is especially important to note that West Africa is one of the most vulnerable regions in the world for food insecurity and climate change. National policies need to reflect the need for making food systems resilient to climate change shocks. Policies focusing on food systems transformation will require research on how the climate change shocks affect food security, nutrition and health outcomes, will require information on how the transformation could be made inclusive for men, women and youth. And be mindful of the fact that resilience building also requires capacity building and partnerships at all levels. This is so critical. Our event today will look more specifically at climate change, gender, resilience issues that have emerged from the UNFSS. Presenters will then narrow these to discussions, these discussions to focus more on climate change and resilience research and on the ground implementation. It's a real pleasure to join hands with Waskal again for this event. And I look forward to a very lively and informative webinar that will move us forward and in our thinking and in actions in achieving greater food security in West Africa. Madam moderator, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Tunis, for those remarks. Our next uh, speaker is Mumini Savadogo, who is the Executive Secretary at the West African Science Service Center on Climate Change and Adapted Land Use, who will also now give us opening remarks. Over to you, Mumini. So it's my pleasure to join my voice to uh, the one of uh, my dear friend and partner, Therese Van Renen, uh, to welcome all of you uh, who are joining us today and to also uh, send my appreciations for, to all our uh, joint effort towards organizing effectively uh, these seminars. Indeed, the topic uh, we are discussing today is of great importance. And I would like to appreciate all the key speakers uh, that will take us through uh, this uh, topic, developing resilience to climate change and achieving food security in West Africa, follow-up action from the UN Food System Summit. Yes, climate change and food systems are very interlinked, as we all know, and we need really resilient food systems. Let us just um, to emphasize on some of the aspects that have been highlighted by tennis. Let us consider some evidences. For instance, from the special report of the IPCC on climate change and land, it appears that 23% of the total anthropogenic green gas emissions from 2007 to 16 derived from agriculture, forestry, and other land use. Uh, this, of course, is due to the expansion of land area required to uh, meet the increasing demand for food and nutrition as the population keep increasingly growing and rapidly. This also speaks to the land use change, land use intensification, and climate change 
which have contributed to desertification and land degradation. Of course, all these informations guide us to a kind of pessimistic uh, view, but I want to ask to look at the key challenge before us is that West Africa has young population, agroecological and climate smart systems, data-based solutions that exist already, and we must together join effort to promote and innovate them so that we can reverse the negative trends and devise sustainable food systems. I know we can accelerate the transformations towards resilient and sustainable farming and food systems if we undertake a kind of integrated approach. The summit has highlighted very clearly the need to acknowledge and value the diversity of our farming and food systems, the need for finance and continuous capacity building. In that regard, we offer an excellent platform of 12 graduate schools, 16 training programs, and a competence center in climate research and uh, services provisions. And partners are all invited to join us in preparing excellent scientists and experts in the climate change and land use nexus. We need to develop international, regional, and local alliances in contributing to enhance governance with effective science policy interface. And that's where we load our partnership with IFRI, and we believe that together, striving with that idea, we continue to develop further and share knowledge and ideas towards developing effective science policy interface that will guide good governance for food transformation to uh, meet the food and nutrition demands of our increasing population. We believe that through this webinar, we learn a lot through our speakers, and I wish all of us a very fruitful seminar. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Thank you for those remarks, Mumini. I'm sure IFRI looks forward to continuing this effective partnership with Bascom. Our first speaker is John Ulumwengu, who's a senior research fellow and Africa-wide coordinator of the Comprehensive Agriculture, Africa Agriculture Development Program and the Regional Strategic Analysis and Knowledge Support System Platform. John will share on a measurement approach for a resilience index possible applications to climate shocks. John, over to you. Thank you, Katala, uh, um, and thank you to the organizers for this opportunity. Uh, as Katala said, I was uh, asked to uh, share a brief on how to measure um, resilience uh, index capacity and an application to climate uh, shock. Uh, before doing that, I would like to give an, an overview of where African uh, countries stand uh, when it comes to enhancing resilience to climate variability. For those who are familiar with the CADEP uh, framework uh, and its uh, uh, Malabo uh, declaration, there are seven commitments that the head of state uh, pledged to achieve by 2025. And one of those commitments uh, is the commitment number six on enhancing resilience to climate variability. As the map uh, shows for 2019, only 11 countries were on track 
compared to, to, to the benchmark. Um, seven were on track in 2017. I have the result for 2021, but I cannot release it because I'm not allowed to. Uh, but the, the, the picture is that uh, it's, it's a gleam and there is a lot of uh, work uh, investment effort uh, to be done. And of course, uh, if you cannot measure it, you cannot uh, track it, uh, you cannot achieve it. That's, that's how it goes. Um, the, 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 the first layer when, uh, on the measurement of resilience is really to define clearly the, the theory of change of either the project or the program or whatever initiative. Uh, why? Because the theory of change will link uh, the interventions, activities, investment to the uh, expected outcome. Here, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the, the one from the World Bank, uh, the uh, funded West Africa Food System Resilience uh, Program. And as you can see on, on your, your right, you have the food system resilience in, in West Africa. And the yellow uh, box is that resilience capacity that we need to measure to link it to the food system. But then comes uh, a, a stream of, of uh, uh, you have intermediate outcomes all the way to activities uh, that one will have to uh, 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 invest on to build that capacity, uh, to build that resilience uh, capacity. So the focus here will be on that yellow, uh, how do you, you measure that yellow, yellow box? Uh, um, and 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 um, in, you know, let me go back to it. As you see, you know, of course, the 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 climate specific component is right in the middle, but the focus is on not only on the climate. Why? Because you need to build a comprehensive uh, measurement framework, uh, which are which has the climate component but also other uh, components, uh, components on, 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 on trade, uh, components on, 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 on information, components on uh, um, the capacity to, 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 to design uh, the program. So overall, um, you need, of course, a set of, uh, um, a good set of data uh, to do that. Resilience by design is a dynamic concept which means you need to take into account time. So how do you, 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 you design that data set? First, you need a uh, uh, initial state, uh, you know, uh, food security uh, uh, information, health information, assets, social capital, assets to uh, access to uh, uh, services like uh, education, infrastructure, ecological uh, uh, services as well. So, we need some sort of a baseline that we would use in the process of measuring, uh, assessing uh, the uh, resilience uh, capacity. And of course, you need to differentiate uh, between uh, uh, covariate shocks and idiosyncratic shocks. Again, even, the even if the focus is on climate here, drought and flood, uh, and flood, but we need to make sure that we capture the other shocks. Uh, COVID-19, for example, is not climate-related shock, but if you look at the impact on food security, it's very important that in 
whatever resilience system framework that you're developing, you take into account those uh, information uh, as well. Um, empirically, we, you know, there are many other uh, framework, but uh, the one that FAO has developed, the so-called resilience index measurement analysis, uh, is uh, as of now the most comprehensive. Uh, remember my reference to the theory of change. So this uh, arima replicate the theory of change. That's how it's important to start to well define what is the theory of change of the, the resilience program, the resilience initiative, resilience project, because your resilience measurement will have to replicate that theory uh, of change. Uh, that's very, very important. Um, we, you know, this is one application for, uh, for Sub-Sudan. Um, we, um, with a colleague from FAO, uh, this has been uh, applied to many countries. Uh, this is just one example. Uh, but I wanted to point out here that it's the, the design, of course, depends on each context uh, in each community, uh, each country, because the, the pillar, uh, so to speak, are not the same. And in this case here, uh, for example, in South Sudan, we had it to, to uh, include conflict and, and local governance, which were uh, key variables in the context of South, South Sudan. Um, yeah, that, that's that. So yeah, and then once you have designed, uh, developed that framework, you can do now all the simulation that you want to, uh, might, might, it can be on climate shock, like here we simulated uh, livestock disease, uh, loss of livestock because of some uh, climate uh, issues. You can simulate drought, you can simulate flood and see how that affects the resilience capacity and, and ultimately uh, food and, and nutrition uh, security. Um, one of the points that I wanted to, 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 uh, to end with is the uh, system resilience versus component resilience, uh, which are different uh, things because uh, what I describe is more component resilience, resilient at household level, at community level. But uh, if we learn anything from the UN food system is that, yes, indeed it, it is a system, which means it includes several components that are interlinked. And to design, to measure resilience of a system, you need to take into account that network kind of behavior of the system, uh, because some will be uh, more important, some component more important than the others. Uh, um, the, 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 so we need to, to so that's, that's the next uh, frontier, so to speak, into this resilience measurement uh, that some of us are working on, on how to, in addition to the component resilience, uh, how to capture system uh, resilience that to repli replicate this uh, uh, UN food uh, system uh, uh, approach. Um, now, uh, in concluding here, first, as I said, uh, it's very important to uh, align your, your project theory of change to data collection tools and, of course, intervention cost. It's very important. Often, the, the measurement of resilience, it's often like an afterthought. At the end of the project, finally, we decide to go and, and, and measure the resilience. No, it has to be embedded in the project alongside the theory of change. 
uh, we need to set to uh, to develop a a, a good uh, data uh, system uh, on tracking uh, and record cost to data for intervention need to become a standard part of program implementation. Again, it's not after the program that we have to go back to collect information uh, uh, to measure resilience. It has to be part of the uh, the and then. Uh, if possible, I know it's costly. Uh, it's good to have a, a, a panel data set, at least the components of household that you follow uh, throughout the, the, the project lifetime, because then you can uh, assess uh, how resilient uh, uh, those households were and what are the, the, the factors that determine the, the, the resilience and then uh, change eventually as uh, as you go uh, i will uh, um, stop here and uh, uh, wait for for questions thank you katana thank you very much john for those remarks highlighting the importance of evidence-based resilience strategies and that building resilient food systems won't happen without a consistent investment to collect data our next speaker is kinde ogunjobi a meteorologist, environmental, and climate scientist who currently serves as the Director of Research at the West African Science Service Center on Climate Change and Adapted Land Use, where his research focuses on air quality modeling and climate modeling, amongst other activities. He will share on translating resilience strategies at the landscape and farm levels. Over to you, Kinde. Okay, so thank you very much, M. Katala, for giving me this opportunity. And thank you also uh, to Waskal Management and IFPRI for organizing uh, this webinar. Um, this afternoon, I will be speaking on developing resilience strategy to climate change at the landscape and farm levels in West Africa. Um, my presentation is as a result of different um, research work at the Waskal Competence Center, um, which we have done, and um, other contributions are so stated by Dr. Safi, Saini, Musa, etc., which I'm presenting today to this, um, to this meeting. So the first thing I'm gonna look at in my presentation is to look at the, at the current um, climate situation and the projected climate situation over the region. And we have done this by simulating um, temperature um, over a baseline um, from 1981 to 2010, and using the SSP uh, um, scenario of 1.26 uh, and 3.70 also to simulate temperature over um, Sahel region and the Guinea, Guinea zone as shown in my presentation. Um, uh, we observed regional warming outpassing the global average of uh, about plus 0 0.8 degrees Celsius to 1.2 degrees Celsius over the period of analysis. And uh, we also observe an amplified warming, you know, towards the end of the 21st century. This was also um, done on the rainfall pattern um, over the region as indicated in this slide. And also we observe recovery with much um, variable average rainfall regime in the Sudano-Sahelian region um, 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 of our zone of our region, and also projected slight increase of average annual rainfall 
over uh, the Sudan to Sahelian region of West Africa and a quasi stationary um, observation over the southern um, region of um, zone of the region. However, we also observed a kind of a stationary amplitude as seen here uh, towards the end of the 21st century using the SSP 126 and 3.70 scenario. Um, here we we also look at the at the you know um, a model result using um, statistical uh, pattern you know to also look at what we are having um, under the two different scenarios um, central um, southern zone and the northwest zone is observed to be stationary well the center and the northeast is more humid um, this we have observed also a drier west as indicated in the slide under the um, ssp3 3.70 um, regime from 2031 to 2060 and we have also projected it up to 2000 um, now going further to see the impact of weather and climate extremes on uh, on the region um, we observe um, using the ssp 126 1.26 within the sudan guinea and over west africa there has been a tremendous increase as indicated in the table in the table above so we observe that there are heavy rains events which are coming up within the region heat waves is persisting and there is a mixed drought and flood uh while we have in single rainy season location in the uh, in the in the in, in you know in the region so these are just um, some of the climatic effects that we have seen we also try to see this impact on the stream flow of major river basins you know in the region and this we have done um, with this slide and we are taking um it's a very simple one um, using the volta basin and what was observed as shown here is that there have been a zonal contrast between the west and the eastern um zone uh, sorry, the West is getting dry, while the Eastern zone of the Sudano Sahel region is, you know, getting pronounced um, uh, wetness. So these are just the climatic effect, but we now realize that all this climatic effect has what we call uh, effect on the food chain over the region. Uh, for example, extreme rainfall events, of course, will lead to increased risk in food security, um, extended drought or flooding of course, which will lead to drop in the yield of our cropping, as we are going to see later. Uh, but so we, we have a kind of full chain from our production to consumption to transformation to commercialization. The effect of climate in the region, you know, does not leave the region alone. So here we also try to simulate the cropping land productivity based on the different climate scenario that I have shown you earlier. And we discovered that 40 to 60 percent of the production area may not be suitable, may not be suitable for the same crop over a period of time, as indicated in the plots um, we are having here. Uh, this could be as a result of full uh, degradation of land use, land cover, as being you know said earlier, um, as a result of erosion, eroded um, land surface, um, leaching of nutrients in our in our soil flooding and also we have been losing settlement due to increased population in the region 
Now we now did this over. Uh, we now did this in order to quantify the yield, the yield changes uh, of different crops under uh, rain-fed and irrigated regime and in different warming that we have observed in our scenario. And in this slide, you will see that the uh, crops that are that are in yellow uh, fonts are showing decrease over a period of time, as shown in the last column on the slide from 2031 to 2060 as projected. Um, is it, it's quite interesting that cassava, cassava, soya bean, and cotton is showing an increase. And this could be as a result of, um, uh, you know, a special attention that is placed on this uh, product, especially cotton in the region, as we know that cotton in some of the Sudan Sahelian countries of Burkina, Mali, uh, cotton plays a very important economic crop for their region, so uh, for the zone. So we now realize that, of course, even if it's increasing in our uh, climate um, stresses, uh, cotton, cassava, soya bean is showing an increase in the average yield plot over, over the time that we have projected. Uh, we also did this also for cocoa, cashew, and uh, shinot, and also observed that um, you know, production is also decreasing um, as we go deep into the century. Now, we did not limit this only to crops. We also looked into live and livestock, as we know that livestock is also a major source of income for us. And we looked at um, the effect of uh, water availability, you know, in this um, in this region. Um, excuse me. Okay, so um, of course we know now that um, there has been an, a, a shift or increase in the transhumans um, movement of our crop due to um, increasing competition over natural resources of land, water, and, um, and um, uh, conflicts within the region. So this has also impacted a lot of stress on livestock production you know, in our region. Now, uh, we try to also look at the adaptation strategy, minding the title uh, the focus of our, of our discussion this afternoon or this morning, as the case may be, uh, different customized adaptation strategic um, uh, water management um, techniques have been adapted over the region, especially in the Sudano-Sahelian region of, um, of uh, West Africa. And uh, we have also uh, you know, involved in customized uh, climate services, as you have seen here. And Waskal is playing a very prominent uh, role in the development of tailored climate services, which we are passing on to the farmers and also to end users. As you have seen here, um, local contents of um, climate stresses and information is passed in order to increase, you know, adaptation and, and resilience need, you know, in our region. Um, um, of course, off-grid solar panel system, also in Niger, and um, in Mali, of course, in Burkina Faso, we have also been doing a little of adaptation and resilience need in order to improve um, um, food security, you know, within our region. But we have often observed some constraints, and these constraints involve um, fund constraints. And I think Waskal and IFPRI will be doing very much in order to seek for fund in order, you know, to see how to ameliorate all these problems of climate stresses of food production and food security in the region. Knowledge gap is also identified, but uh, thanks to Waskal has been um, highlighted by the executive director of Waskal that now Waskal has 12 um, graduate um, study program put across the region where we are training capacity 
in order to see how to um, use the knowledge of climate um, change uh, and bridge the gap of you know food security within within the region. Um, terrorist attack, political instability, migration is another major issue. Um, gender inequality um, is also a major um, uh, uh, constraint. And um, as seen in this slide, we say there is no one panacea or one um, solution that is cast in stone to resolve this problem. So policies are, are still um, all too often designed without um, uh, proper consultation, especially in the area of um, climate service um, uh, provision. Now, uh, poverty traps is also, um, I'm going to consider here uh, cases of, um, of a kind of a vicious circle amongst our farmers. So the main obstacle for food security here is, of course, lack of investment, low income, availability or accessibility, um, low yield of our food crops, and then low labor productivity. And we know that um, there are yield gaps which remain enhanced by climate change and climate vulnerability over the, over the, over the region. Um, so, it, of course, it makes the poor getting poor. And then, you know, uh, now we want to see which of these adaptation options are we considering. So we consider various adaptation strategies, um, which is cataloged in this slide. Um, things like stone beds, uh, design, um, mulching, irrigation system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is now, we now did this and did it on a small scale or a medium scale, and then perform what we call the sort analysis in order to you know, know which adaptation options is most suitable in order to reduce the stresses of climate, you know, of food production within the region. And this we have done here. And you have seen here now that, um, uh, for example, under crop production, uh, design method is seen to be more effective for water management, um, uh, uh, water management and um, rain harvest is seen to be more effective. We also carry this out also for the coastal you know, region, uh, coastal zone of our region. Uh, now, the, pro the point now is that at what cost are we, you know, is this effect of climate change on food uh, production in our region? And this we have done monetary valuation of operational implementation costs for sustainable ad ad adaptation methods. And this we are, you have seen in this um, slide, for example, for Zai, um, uh, for the production of um, series like millet, sorghum, maize, yam, uh, we need about 168.50 US dollars per hectare. And then we can upscale this on a regional level to know how much is your monetary valuation uh, when it comes to, when it comes to um, operating and implementation of a sustainable adaptation policy. This we have done also for water resources and then also for the coastal zone. Um, the same um, um, goes also for, for livestock, which we have done, which we are seeing in this slide. And um, also, uh, we now say that there is need also to improve on the weather readiness of our nation within, within the region. And this we took um, Mali and Niger as a case um, as a case study so there need to be an investment cost for capacity building of our national institutions um, such as the hydrometeorological institution the civil protection and disaster risk management services of our region like i said we took a case of mali and niger uh, for the year 2019 to 2029 serving as baseline and we realized that a total estimated cost 
of over six million US dollar is needed in order to upscale or upgrade um, weather readiness of our nation, you know, to combat, you know, this um, climate um, stresses. In Niger, um, we quantify that to be around 3.3 million uh, US dollars. This we have um, given um, to ECWAS. We did this, we conducted this on behalf of the World Bank, and we, we sent the result to ECWAS in order to see how to upscale and upgrade our facilities in the uh, hydrometeological agencies of this, um, of this country. Now, in summary, now what we have done here is that we have, we have seen changes in trends and variability of the regional climate, including high frequency and intensity, duration and timing of extreme weather events. Uh, we have done actual investigation of the impact uh, showing the consequences of climate change on agricultural food system and food security in West Africa. Um, the initial investment cost will, is observed to be higher at the, at, the, at the initial stage of operation, but they become low over uh, you know, a longer period of time. Now, what are the way forward? Number one, operationalization and quick uptake of structural adaptation option is very important. We need to get involved in co-designing and co-implementation um, at different levels of all the ideas we are bringing up, issues of climate change, service delivery, um, um, adaptation methods, and all mitigation methods that we are talking about needs to be co-designed with stakeholders and end users. And we need to improve on our capacity building, which I said, of course, Pascal is also taking a lead on. Um, gender equality, integrated transboundary, and um, um, okay, is also to be looked into. Insurance scheme is also a major factor that needs to be considered. Research and innovation in adaptation science to support optimization is also very germane. Um, operationalization must also involve sovereign wealth funding, private sector, uh, complemented by, by global fund. And I think Waskal and IFPRI will be looking deep into this in making sure that um, we also have access to global fund in also mitigating all these effects. Um, this is where I'm going to stop. I'm open to comments and um, questions at a later time. Thank you, Katala. Uh, back to you. Great. Thank you very much, Kinde, for those remarks and emphasizing the importance of designing policies that properly consider the realities in local communities and outlining first the steps needed for operational adaptation. A reminder that we will be coming to the Q&A session soon following the presenter's remarks. So please go ahead and submit your questions on ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or by using the hashtag AskIfpre on Twitter. Our final speaker is Ifoma Kenet Anugwa, a lecturer and gender specialist in the Department of Agricultural Extension at the University of Nigeria in Nisuka. And she has been involved in gender-based research in collaboration with IFPRI. Ifoma, over to you. Okay, so thank you, Cutler. I'll be making a presentation, a very brief presentation on climate change, gender and resilience issues arising from the 2021 United Nations uh, Food Summit. I'll take some excerpts from a Nigeria case study. Yeah, so I would like to discuss key highlights from the 2021 UN Food System Summit as it concerns um, my discussion today. So the UN Food System Summit, among other things, focuses on food system resilience in the face 
of increasing climate change and gender inequalities. The key thing is that food system, the key message, one of the key messages is the need for the transformation of the food system to be more resilient to extreme weather conditions and other stressors like food insecurity that has been induced by climate change. One important aspect that cannot be overlooked is the role of women as important actors and contributors to the, foods, uh, to, to the food system. The reason is because they are the key to household food security. And so their contribution to food system transformation does not need to be underestimated or even overlooked. And so based on this, particular emphasis was made on addressing gender inequalities and power imbalances that will undermine the ability of women to contribute to food system resilience by delivering sustainable and equitable livelihood. So let's take a look at the context. Climate change, as it has been discussed severally by previous speakers, has heightened. Go ahead and jump into the next portion of our program. And once she is reconnected, we will give her an opportunity to complete her presentation. As she was the final speaker, we now have an opportunity to engage with our live audience and all of our presenters. We'll respond to as many of your questions as time permits. We would like to hear from as many of you as we can, so please be brief with your questions when you type them in the chat box. I will read one question at a time and the relevant speaker will respond. In some instances, we will consolidate your questions because of time. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first question that we have coming in I, I will direct to you, John. And that question is, what are the key challenges in measuring resilience for food security? I'll move over to you, uh, Kinde. Can you go ahead and share with us uh, how you quantify the monetary valuation of operational implementation costs of sustainable adaptation strategies at the country level? Okay, thank you very much, um, Katala, and thanks to the to the uh, participant that had that question. Yeah, so what we did in my presentation, you'll see that what we did was to estimate it in terms of um, uh, monetary value of US dollar per hectare. So if you want to now upscale it at a country level, what we need to do is to measure the size of um, your farmland, or you measure the size of your grazing area and then quantify it according to the projection that we have made per hectare. So that's what we have. And then you can have it you know, over a larger um, land domain, which um, you really want to do either at the local level or at the sub-national level. So that's um, just to quickly answer that question. Thank you. Great, thank you, Kinde. The next question, it's a it's a big picture question and Kinde, perhaps you want to jump in on this and perhaps and anyone else, please feel free to as well. The question is coming from Emmanuel Matsabo from the Solidaridad Network in Kenya. And he's asking, what is the role of agroecology and agrobiodiversity in achieving sustainable food systems in developing countries throughout Africa? Kinde, do you want to take a stab at that? <laughs> uh, well, um, question. yeah, it's quite an um, in interesting question, and I think um, um, agro, um, agro agriculturists in the region also can, you know, partake in in um, 
um, extension services delivery, which I've earlier mentioned. And I also mentioned also the issue of um, uh, development of uh, climate and environmental services, which I think our um, agricultural professionals can also use and, uh, you know, and, um, you know, um, take this to the farmers in order to um, ameliorate and reduce the uh, effect of um, climate stresses on the crop yield uh, within, within the region. So we can have it in different forms in terms of capacity building and also um, um, extension services, like I said, which also can, we, like we said, um, uh, collaborating with scientists and um, uh, you know, institutions like WASCAL and IFPRI within the region um, so that we can get all these policies and then take it to farmers on the farm uh, on how to implement all these um, um, science-based um, uh, services that are developed you know, by our, our scientists. So I think um, they do have a very critical role to play in those um, uh, two, two areas. Thank you, back to you, Katala. Thank you, Kinde. Does anyone else care can to I, comment on something? that? Yes, can please, go ahead. Can yes, I add? please do. Yes, um, yeah, uh, one may want to look also at the, uh, the importance of the uh, ecosystem services uh, to food and nutrition security. And this is very, very important. If you look at um, the uh, aquatic ecosystems or other ecosystems, uh, biodiversity is contributing a lot, a lot to uh, the different categories of ecosystem services. Uh, you know, in our in our nations, for example, non-timber uh, products, okay, are playing vital role in nutrition and food in complementing crop production. That's why we need to develop further nature-based solutions, taking into account those ecosystem services and embedding them into the full system analysis of our food systems. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mumini. Another question uh, for perhaps Sarash and um, Professor Kone want to jump in on this. It's a big picture question about uh, and it's coming from Olowo S, who is a field operations supervisor at Laterite in Uganda. His question is, given that one of the primary drivers of food insecurity is population growth and improper land use patterns, is there a grand plan or initiative to help uh, avert these current food security issues that Africa as a continent is facing? Uh, Suresh, Professor Kone, do you care to jump in? Okay, thank you so much. I think uh, I want just to come back to on uh, uh, agroecological uh, aspect, uh, saying that uh, yes, agroecological is uh, yes a use of uh, best practices uh, to reduce uh, the use of uh, sensitized pesticide or use of of um, best practices for soil management. I think it's very important that uh, those aspects can improve uh, production and also can help for food security. And also agrobiodiversity, where we are using uh, uh, different kind of crops and taking into account the ecosystem services also can be very useful. In addition to what uh, he said, I think uh, uh, we cannot uh, say that uh, population growth in Africa, uh, in Africa, uh, in despite of the number of, of people we have, we cannot say that uh, the population growth can be a constraint for food security. 
Great, thank you very much. Uh, Suresh, did you care to comment on the earlier question? I, I would like to uh, um, uh, think through on the broader side, you know, we talked about the UN Food System Summit uh, just 10 days ago, and uh, we are also uh, translating the call for action uh, from UN Food System Summit at the not only at the continental level but also at the regional level. So this dialogue that we are having is um, uh, specifically to look at the West African context. So um, uh, at the, in, the, in this context, we need to think about how policies can be or strategies can be uh, designed with the, the knowledge evidence base that uh, Professor Kinde talked about, uh, and also how do we build the capacity of the national research systems to translate the knowledge into action on the ground. The research system, education system, and the extension system need to work together in order to translate knowledge on the ground. But I also would like to ask John, if he's uh, online, uh, to come in and talk a little bit about the African Union approach, uh, probably CADAP approach, and he's involved in those uh, aspects of the broader continental efforts. Yes, yes, I just want to respond to the question raised on. Yes, want to come back to the agroecological aspect where I was talking about the use of strategic the best practices to reduce the uh, the use of pesticide chemical pesticide and also the best practices that can help to have the good soil management if you have those things together I think transferring those solutions to farmers can help to enhance the production talking about the population of africa i think uh, and also the, the production i think the population is not too much to say that we have uh, we link the population and the management of a soil one is to see how best we can manage our production using the best uh, practice in terms of land management land use and land management to develop uh, a very useful system where we can transfer those solutions to our uh, uh, communities in order to, uh, to, to take into account also the ecosystem services, where we can, in addition to all of those practices, we can have a best solution for land management and land use, and also to produce a lot of, uh, to diversify our production. Taking into account those aspects, we can also feed the population in Africa. I want to say that there is a lot of initiative in Africa side, in West Africa, in Eastern Africa, where uh, people are developing solutions in order to tackle these issues of production and also the productivity of our crop. This is a, is, is a kind of a, a mind of technology, making technology available, available for the end users to enhance the production. This is my talk on this aspect, uh, linked to the production, linking the production in a, a population growth in Africa. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Kone. I see that John Ulamwangu has been able to reconnect. So John, let me go ahead and put a couple questions to you. One of the questions coming in is, it's a big picture one on, given that one of the primary drivers of food insecurity is population growth and improper land use patterns, what are some of the initiatives uh, that Africa as a continent uh, can enact to help address these challenges? Can you uh, comment on that, please, John? Um, yes, th thank you, uh, Katala. Um, 
for, for those who are uh, familiar with the uh, the CADEP uh, framework, um, the, the the there are and, and Malabo commitment uh, in, in 2006, 2014, uh, there are seven commitments or seven goals that African leaders have uh, uh, pledged to achieve by 2025, and, and uh, in those commitment, uh, there is one on, on uh, land use uh, management. I mentioned the one on, 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 on resilience. So yes, there are 47, uh, so to speak, uh, uh, policy instrument that um, African leaders have been implemented since 2000, uh, um, the Malabo commitment uh, uh, declaration 2014. Uh, that includes uh, uh, those uh, those issues and the 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 work that African Union Commission, including Resax uh, and IFPRI, are doing is to support uh, countries uh, not only to learn from what they have achieved so far, and that's the reason for the binary review uh, process. Uh, we released the first report in 2017. The second, 2019. Uh, the third report is uh, uh, being reviewed now. We have the results uh, that uh, we cannot share, unfortunately. But the whole idea is, uh, again, uh, since this is a common, it's a joint uh, program, uh, uh, they made sure that there is a mutual accountability framework that allows countries to learn uh, from, from uh, uh, the progress. Uh, not all other countries are on track um, uh, in, in several of those commitments and those actions, uh, but uh, it's quite promising uh, for the first time as far as Africa is concerned. As far as agricultural sector is concerned, there is a system uh, of uh, tracking progress and learning from it uh, as, uh, as they proceed. Thank you, John. A question coming in from Alexandra Akakar uh, of Nigeria. She's asking, how can the federal government be more involved in incentivizing people to take up studies in agroecology and agrodiversity? Uh, Professor Kone, perhaps you want to come in on that? Okay, thank you so much uh, for this uh, relevant question. Is uh, diversity, the, uh, Diversify our agriculture is a key, uh, first uh, to diversify the production and to make available every in, along the season uh, food to our communities. This is very important in terms of diversification. It can also have to help to have a lot of crops. And uh, coming to the government uh, is very important because when we are developing technologies, uh, those decision makers are very important to take decision based on the result you have because if you develop any technology making available making uh, 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 attesting that this kind of food production is very important to solve this issue this particular issue uh, developing a policy can help the government to take a decision in order to implement uh, the technology for the technology implementation this is where we need also in collaborative with way before our government to discuss because we take a decision uh, to implement uh, the to implement the proposal based on our technology, we need us to develop the policy. That policy can go through the government part, and also, and the government can help 
involving the government, sharing with the government side by developing a policy, I think we can bring them to take the right decision to help the implementation of each technology. This is what I want to say on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. A question for you, Kinde. It's coming from Mohammed, uh, who is based in Bangladesh. He's saying, we all know that developing countries are, are really playing a critical role in climate change calamities. They're not responsible for most of what we're currently experiencing. So what are some strategies that developed countries have taken in terms of agricultural development toward helping developing countries fight climate change? Thank you very much, um, Katala, again. I think um, if I get the questions very right, um, West Africa, um, um, our region, for example, and Africa indeed, is one of the lowest um, emitter of greenhouse gases that have been causing so much damage and um, having very great effect on climate change in our region. Can I go ahead? I think... Um, Yes, please go ahead. If your mind is coming yes. Okay, all right. Okay, so, so you, of course, that's why they say that, of course, uh, developed countries need to actually uh, partner with um, developing countries and low-income countries in order to facilitate policies and programs within the low-income countries and developing countries in how to reduce their carbon footprint. This is really very, very, very important. And I think one of the initiatives, we have several initiatives, and I'm so happy that this platform is, a res, is as a result of the outcome of the result from the from the from the from a global um, UN FCC uh, uh, um, um, a program. So I, I believe that the, the, the developed countries and the developing countries should work together in order to support uh, policies and programs that can reduce our carbon uh, uh, footprint within, within the region. This is really very important. That's number one. Then you know, the next one I want to quickly talk about is in the area of research and innovation. Um, developing countries need to also kind of assist in developing capacity in terms of research and innovation within the growing economy, within the uh, low-income economy. This is also uh, very, very important. I think Professor Kone also mentioned the issue of capacity building. And this is really very good that um, 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 developing countries also should see ways of building capacity in the area of climate change within our region. So these three aspects is really very important in in order to seek that support from developed countries in assisting um, low-income countries in reducing their carbon footprint and reducing the impact of climate change on their livelihood. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Kinde. I see that Ifoma is back with us. So Ifoma, let me ask you, how can the capacities of women be strengthened to enable them to build resilience against climate change? Okay, so thank you very much for the question. Sorry, I had to go, I went out again. So, but basically the rights of women to participate in all levels of decision-making, including the design of adaptation actions needs to be recognized. In that way, their capacity to contribute, to, to be resilient against um, food, um, um, climate change will be, um, it will help to improve their capacity to be resilient against the adverse effects of climate change. Also, it's very important for women to have adequate access to land, credit, and information 
because when they do that climate change relevant climate change information because when they do that it will help to support their productive and marketing activities finally it's important to improve the um, adaptive capacity of women they need to have access to ed uh, adequate ed adequate education and other knowledge generating systems in that way or in this way they will contribute sustainably to climate change adaptation and that will also help to build their resilience because of course uh, there are unequal opportunities between women and men and recall that i said initially that women are the key to household food security but then gender inequality and power symmetry as evident in the study i conducted that was conducted in in nigeria have resulted less resilient than men but if the adaptive capacities of women build their resilience or bounce back after exposure to climatic shocks or climate change induced food insecurity thank you thank you Efoma. Uh, john back to you how would you assess the resilience of African food systems in the face of COVID-19? Yeah, that's, uh, um, yeah, um, uh, it, it is, we, we yeah, the, the, the short answer is, is uh, um, uh, very weak. Uh, um, we, uh, I say that uh, we have the, we, uh, last week, we had a meeting in Nairobi um, to conclude the uh, 2021 uh, binary review, cadet binary review report, and the result that we 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 have that we know uh, show that many African countries uh, were not uh, uh, resilient uh, at all. Uh, the food system that was built uh, was not uh, 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 resilient, um, and 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 at many many uh, level. Uh, first, um, um, the COVID-19 has impacted access to inputs across the continent, um, uh, inputs uh, like seeds, like fertilizer. Um, uh, second, uh, the production level as well, uh, because of the, the, the uh, social distancing measures, uh, many farmers could not even reach the, the fields, could not access the field. Uh, so in terms of both harvest, and the planting seasons, uh, there were a lot of uh, losses. Uh, and then you move to access to the market. Uh, again, uh, because of the shutdowns across the continent. Uh, so at every stage of the, 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 the food system, uh, we notice uh, um, a lot of failures, so to speak, with respect to uh, resiliency. And the result overall uh, is that um, um, very few countries have, uh, um, um, I don't want to say it, but uh, are not on track with respect to some of the Malabo uh, commitment because uh, mostly because of the COVID-19. COVID and, and that's uh, why we, you know, some of us are pushing for, uh, to revamp the, 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 the to, to redesign. Uh, I mentioned that there is one component, com com commitment on, on resilience and that commitment i think it's very weak uh, because uh, some of the indicators of that commitment like uh, a budget line uh, on, on 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 disaster that's not enough as a capacity uh, to um, so withstand the shock such as covid 19. so there are work to, to to be done to improve the resilience of the overall system and of course it's different from country to country thank you Great, thank you so much, John.
Ifoma, coming back to you, your presentation highlighted some of the some concerns around gender and the importance of integrating uh, gender concerns in the design of climate change uh, in order to accelerate the transformation of more sustainable, equitable, and resilient food systems in West Africa. So how can the extension system in African countries be changed to accommodate climate change and resilience building responses? Yeah, thank you very much for your question. You know, in West Africa, the extension system in West Africa is very weak. And um, Nigeria, taking Nigeria as a case study, the extension system is weak and um, ill-functional, basically due to a host of challenges, like um, weak linkages with um, relevant stakeholders, uh, poor funding, poor and non-sustainable funding, and so on. So the extension system needs to be transformed to accommodate climate change resilience uh, building measures. And how can this be done? This can be done by strengthening the linkages between the extension system and research and universities, research institutions and universities. It's also important to improve the technical capacity of extension agents to carry out climate change adaptation information and also to disseminate relevant resilience building measures to farmers. So for extension agents to do that, their capacities need to be properly strengthened or built. Again, it's also important to establish and implement a dynamic, legislated, and functional national extension policy. In Nigeria, the national extension policy, which was established in 2017, is not yet functional. So it's important for this national extension policy to be fully implemented so as to enable you know, the extension system to work adequately towards building um, the resilience of a uh, food system. And then finally, it's important to deploy a pluralistic, demand-driven and participatory extension approach, which will enable extension agents to um, adequately carry out the extension services. And of course, there is need for a more sustainable form of funding to help fund you know, um, extension services and um, part of um, a more sustainable, a recommended sustainable fund, um, funding of extension services would be cost sharing of um, ex, um, the funds with between extension agencies and farmers or other relevant stakeholders. And also there is need for a multilateral and um, 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 funding from donor agencies. This will help to strengthen the extension system to adequately contribute to uh, building the resilience of the food system. Thank you, Ifoma. Coming to you, Kinde, your presentation touched on some of the costs involved. And so here's a question from Cedro Dannon, if you can clarify on how are African countries going to cover the mitigation and adaptation measures costs for ensuring climate resilience of the African food system? <laughs> um, Yes, I, I, yes, great question. And I think I did mention it in my presentation. I see this as um, a one, one way which that cost could be covered, and I would like all the people to also join, is the involving in the public-private partnership. I think this is really very important, and I did mention it as part of the constraints and the solution to the, those constraints of assessing fund. It's important that uh, the private um, industry comes into uh, the agricultural sector in order to 
to, to reduce the impact of climate change on food security in our region. So this is really very important. And uh, for example, I talked about um, um, issues of, um, and I think um, John also mentioned that in his presentation, if I had it very right, the issue of having uh, climate um, um, indices or climate index, which could help in securing uh, um, insurance and loans or funding for farmers in the region. This is really very important. So there should be an handshake between the public sector to drive our agricultural system and also supported by government policies in order you know, to improve on um, having policies that could mitigate uh, the effect of climate change on food um, security and food sustainability in, the, in, in our region. That's just the bit I want to add to that. Thank you very much. John, let me come back to you. Uh, how does the com Comprehensive Resilience Capacity Index compare with the Environmental Vulnerability Index? And what are the key challenges in measuring resilience for food security? Yeah, that's, uh, let me just show you maybe um, um, a quick uh, a map that, uh, uh, that gives you an idea of uh, so these two maps are from the, the CADEP uh, uh, BR uh, database. Uh, the map on the left is the uh, house, number of household resilience to climate shocks. Um, the gray area are where we don't have the data. So that gives you the challenge that we have. And, 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 and of course, the green are the countries that are uh, be, uh, above the, the, the threshold. So that's the the main uh, um, the main uh, challenge that we have now is the the data one. Second is the capacity to to um, um, analytical capacity. Um, um, and, and thanks to colleagues from FAO, uh, we are working on setting up a hub, uh, a technical hub for resilience analysis uh, for African countries. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's an on, ongoing uh, between IFPRI. Uh, and, and FAO, that's very important. Now, um, as I said, yes, the focus may be on climate-related shocks, uh, but as we, we saw with COVID-19, COVID-19 is not a climate-related shocks, but still it has a huge impact across the whole uh, food system. So that's, the, that's where the idea of building a comprehensive uh, uh, resilience uh, measurement framework that we can use to uh, to uh, uh, um, we can use to, to capture uh, different type of shocks, uh, maybe climate related, because this is here's the yes, if indeed the uh, the food system approach is the thinking the right thinking, then even in terms of shocks, we need to have that thinking as well because the climate is more or less towards the production component of the food system but you have shocks along the system the market shocks uh the price shocks and and uh, even at the end food food safety shocks uh, assume there is a um, uh, a break of uh, some disease um uh, aflatoxin for example it's not climate related but if it happens it's a shock that will reverberate across the whole system so that's the idea of, um, uh, in addition to focusing on climate vulnerability and so forth, we need a comprehensive framework that capture 
uh, different type of shocks, uh, which is, uh, they are not mutually uh, uh, exclusive. Uh, we can have that comprehensive in addition to more specific on vulnerability to climate change. Thank you very much, John. We are coming to the end of our program, and so I will now have to call on a couple of our organizers to provide us closing remarks. Let me begin with you, Suresh Babu, who is a senior research fellow and Africa region and, and in, in not only in achieving food security, nutrition and health for all, but also how do we address the emerging issues of climate change and biodiversity. We talked extensively about COVID-19 and how this has pulled us back in terms of achieving SDGs and also John talked about the CADAC goals. We are not on track in many countries and how can we take action towards, towards that. Taking action requires at the policy level, technological level, institutional capacity, we talked about the governance, data collection and service delivery, and then collectively, how do we build a resilience uh, of the system, food system as a whole, to face not just the COVID shock, but also a range of shocks that John talked about. Quickly, uh, from that perspective, what are the actions needed? And John, of course, uh, extended uh, uh, his presentation in terms of measuring, particularly how do we measure the resilience uh, um, and in, it is important not just measure that at the end of the project, he talked about how do we start with resilience data. The data uh, issue that he talked about doesn't exist, but uh, we also talked about in the context of how we can strengthen the capacity for the measurement of the resilience. He talked about an initiative that he's working on with the FAO and IFPRI, and we'll also need to think about in terms of how do we connect the policy uh, to the science and science policy interface in terms of uh, translating that into action on the ground. And that's where John talked about the CADAP commitments and how the resilience is playing the role in terms of land use management and, and resilience goals. But he emphasized that it is not strong enough in the CADAP goals. And how do we build that, uh, not just at the CADAP level, but also at the national level? How do we come up with the national resilience strategy, strategies that bring not just the disaster preparedness, in most of the cases is disaster preparedness, that we need to think along the value chains from the production to, to, to the consumers, right? And that's where the theory of change that investments to outcomes context that John presented becomes very useful. Uh, and he has given a broad perspective on how to measure as well as mainstream resilience goals in CADAP. And we need to take that up at the national level and also at the West Africa regional level. Moving to uh, um, Professor Kahende's uh, presentation, he talked about the landscape level. How do you translate the strategies at the landscape level? And he talked about the knowledge gaps, the gender inequality, which uh, Ifyoma uh, expanded later on. And also, how do you generate policies with local consultations. His concern was, how do we uh, address that uh, policy issues, adaptation strategies, for example, the technology upscaling in local consultation with the local uh, communities and, and, and partners. And that he talked about the professionalization. Uh, and that requires designing and implementation of this climate change uh, uh, res resilience policies at different levels, right? And we also talked about diversification, public-private partnerships, 
and the role of insurance in in terms of uh, addressing the climate shock so he brought that from the national level uh, regional level thinking to the landscape level what are the constraints and challenges then moving on to if you are sorry if you did not present but then i had a chance to review her presentation uh, earlier so i'm i'm just kind of summarizing but he, she also talked about that in answering questions she talked about the importance of addressing gender inequality uh, and that's a prime uh, um, area because in west africa particularly women play a major role in terms of producers value adders processors marketers and food preparation at home they do uh, if you have has been teaching me on this uh, particularly and they are also consumers of food. Uh, and uh, how do we how do we address that inequality in the context of um, adaptive capacity adaptive capacity means you need to give access to land uh, she she argued very well you need to give access to knowledge and and education for women without that women cannot be built uh, before uh, cannot be capacitated uh, to adapt to uh, climate shocks as well as build the resilience required uh, reaching out to research system which can gender mainstream mainstream the gender issues and also education system where the capacity of the professionals can be improved in terms of addressing this issue and extension systems she, she talked about as well and investment in women's knowledge base that's that's the argument she was making but also uh, professor monumi and 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 uh, professor uh, kone talked about ecosystem services i just want to add that bullet there uh, to remember that ecosystem services agroecology agrobiodiversity they are all important for uh, moving forward uh, in terms of addressing these issues so we addressed uh, several uh, broad issues but also very specifically what is needed in west africa context so with that let me uh, uh, reiterate that ifpri and vascal are working together in order to address the policy issues on the one hand the capacity challenges at the institutional level on the other hand and also at the at the farm level how do we trans, uh, translate the knowledge into action through research extension and education systems let me stop here and we will continue to work together with with vascal in a series of seminars to come and we will be uh, um, uh, happy to have you back and then discuss and have a dialogue so that we can guide the policies and programmatic actions the theory of change that john talked about with the national systems and national governments thank you katarla Great. Thank you very much, Suresh, for that brilliant summary of our presenters' remarks and next steps. Let me now invite Professor Daura Kone, who's Director of Capacity Strengthening at the West African Science Service Center on Climate Change and Adapted Land Use, to give us his concluding remarks. Over to you, Professor Kone. Thank you so much, uh, Katala, for this uh, giving the floor. I want first to appreciate uh, all the presenters uh, for this uh, uh, very good uh, presentation, the very good talk, the very good uh, um, question raised also by the uh, the people who are listening to our presentation. I want to thank IFPRI at the high level and also Wascal for this uh, uh, webinar, where we have seen that uh, our presenter shows how uh, resilience is very important uh, for us in our continent, in West Africa. So taking that into account, and also the initiative in the Union, African Union side, the four pillar where uh, we lead uh, the also is one of uh, the decision who are tackling the issue of uh, 
this uh, climate change and also this food nutrition. We have seen that uh, in addition to the resilience aspect, uh, one aspect on uh, prediction has been uh, highlighted by uh, uh, our presenters also in terms of uh, taking into account uh, the climate aspect in food production and so in livestock. This is not only food production, we are talking also in livestock where we can have a better livestock to uh, support the food production. It's also important that uh, taking that into account, we have the system of uh, when uh, uh, if we talk about uh, our stakeholders, also the people who are uh, doing the transfer knowledge to our communities. This is very important also as for that I highlighted by the where those who are producing the food, those who are also managing the food transformation and those who are taking the technology to transfer to the end users. And also, I think IFRI and WASCAL can play a very good role on that. It's better to find a solution against malnutrition crisis. We have in a situation where the food, uh, the food, the, the food systems uh, need to find a way to uh, a solution for malnutrition crisis. Looking at also the incidence of our NDCs, this is very important, the NDCs, to feed more population, more people in West Africa. It means that when we combat climate change, is key for Africa, and we should take into account a multidisciplinary and also multi-partnership approaches to fight climate change in West Africa. This is where we are coming with a lot of partners. We are coming also with our scientists and WASCAL also scientists and students and partners of WASCAL are working in a collaborative action. WASCAL has a response already, uh, training people in a way of uh, indifferent related climate issue to develop technologies and services. We need also that uh, those services and technologies we are developing while WASCAL can reach or also can go to our decision maker and also our community through the development of policy. This is where we need IFPRI. We need also other partners to come and to develop the services developed by WASCAL scientists WASCAL and students in collaborating with uh, our supervisors who are working with WASCAL in the community of West Africa. It's better also those uh, uh, technology who are developing and taking, uh, transforming in a, a policy brief or any policy using uh, reach our community can be useful for the regions of community. We need to work in the same way. We need also to learn to, to see where now WASCAL have more than 200 students, more than 200 students uh, who are working to develop technology with scientists. And among those 200 students selected, we have 150 students who are now collecting data in you know, all West African countries. Those students are developing technology to tackle the main issue of climate science. I think through our collaborative way, we have seen that we need institution we have a key institution in the west africans in 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 the african union side we have also a resource person we have also people who can transfer knowledge so all of our, the collaborative action can help us to go forward the, the agenda 20 uh, 230 uh, 2020 agenda of african union this is very important to take into account the climate related issue i want to thanks all of you i want to say WASCAL IFRI, 
need to find solution and we are in a good track. Thank you so much. Back to you, Atala. Thank you very much, Professor Kone, for your concluding remarks. And thank you to all of our program participants who have shared brilliantly on what we need to develop resilience to climate change and achieve food security in West Africa. And finally, thank you to you, our audience, for joining us for today's session. I invite you to join IFPRI and Global Health 5050 next Tuesday, October 5th at 8 o'clock a.m. for a special event on Global Food 5050, a novel report on gender, diversity, and power in the global food system, which will feature a keynote address by Agnes Kalabata, the UN Special Envoy for the 2021 Food System Summit. With that, have a great day. Until next time.